Good morning, everybody. My name is Keith Gove, and uh, I am one of the pastors here at Ridgefield Community Church. And uh, if this is your, your first time visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. If you've been here uh, for weeks or for months or for years, we're, we're glad you're here as well. Thank you for joining us this morning. I always forget to say hi to the folks online. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, last night, uh, was anybody at Bunko? Any of the ladies? Nice. Um, had a great turnout last night for Bunko for the women. Uh, this Saturday, there is uh, the guys are getting together to eat because that is what we do. <laughs> if we're getting together, we are eating. So instead of TED Talks, you've heard of TED Talks, you know, like thoughtful, insightful, right? Uh, ours are Fed Talks. So there may be some insight, but it will be secondary to the fact that we're going to feed you and have good conversation. So next Saturday at 8 o'clock um, here in, uh, in the student building. So today, I want to I talk to you. You guys saw the counter, right? 23 hours. Um, I, I hope you came prepared. We're doing 24 hours of church today. Yes. Yep, yep. We purposely didn't tell you so that you would still come. And they're currently, they're locking the doors and this is going to be, it's going to be a great time. <laughs> Genuinely, have you ever been asked to do something that turned out to be more than you expected? More than what you bargained for? I had no idea that there was going to be a timer on the slide, I promise. Um, let me give you some examples. So have you ever been asked to help someone move and when you arrive, not a stitch of their stuff has been put in a box? Yes, yes. You walk in and you say, okay, this is, I, this is a different, different assignment than I thought I was walking into. It's a much more personal assignment. Where do you want the blouses? How do I pack guinea pigs? You learn a lot about your friends this way. Um, ha have you ever been invited out to coffee or to dinner and you think, oh, this is great. We're just going to catch up. We're going to reconnect. And about, you know, 10 minutes into the conversation, five minutes in, maybe you find out that they have a new job in financial services. Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I see the hands. Okay. This is a different conversation than I thought we were going to have. How's my retirement portfolio? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not the one to ask. Or, uh, and this one happened to me as well. Have you ever been asked to try snow skiing? And they put you on the chair, right? That takes you up the mountain. And they don't tell you that you should get off at the like bunny hill and the greens, you know? I didn't know where I was going. I'd never been before. It was to try snow skiing. Well, I follow my friends all the way up to the top of the mountain. There's no way to get down from the top of the mountain, except on these little boards they give you that are strapped to your feet. So it was more, more than I had bargained for, more than I imagined, more than I wanted at that moment. We're going we're gonna to read two stories today of the disciples being called to follow Jesus. And, and they, they sign up. They've been looking 
for the Messiah. And he comes and they say, yes, I want to follow. And they get way more. (laughs) That mountain is way bigger than they thought it was. Jesus is much more than they thought he was. And while we're, we're going to talk a lot about the disciples, I don't want us to miss these are stories about Jesus. The, the disciples are, are key parts of it, but this is a story about the Jesus they thought they were walking, you know, uh, going to follow. And then after just a brief encounter, the Jesus they realize is standing in front of them. And the vast difference between those two. So let's pray and we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, would you, just as we prayed already, Lord, would you transform us through your word, by your spirit, Lord, for your glory we pray. Amen. So two stories about the expectations that these disciples had and how different Jesus is than what they were expecting. Now, John, the author, is painting this picture from the get-go of who Jesus is. So I'm just going to quickly go through the way he has set up in the first chapter who Jesus is. First verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He is God. If there is any doubt about who he's portraying Jesus to be, it should be gone in verse 1. This is not one of those stories where you're like, oh, could it be? Maybe it's, oh, but then, oh, what if? And then at the end, it's like, ah, it's him. He's God. Isn't it cool? At verse 1, he tells you exactly what's happening. He is the word. He is God. He is the light of men, the only true light, the only begotten of the Father, the one greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, I'm not even fit to untie his shoes. He is Jesus the Christ. Grace and truth come through Jesus the Christ. He is the only God um, who is revealing who God is. He is the Lord. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. He is the King of Israel, the fulfillment of all the things that they've been waiting for. John tells us in the very first chapter, all those are from chapter one, the very first chapter of his gospel, who this Jesus is. And the disciples are, we get the, we get the behind the curtain view. The disciples are just figuring out all these things. And Jesus is filling these terms that they know already, filling them with meaning and helping them understand what these terms, what this really means that he is this person. Now, John tells us at the end of the story why he's writing, but I want to tell you up at the front so that you know why he's writing. He says, now Jesus did all kinds of stuff, all these signs and many more in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wants us to know from the beginning who Jesus is, and he's going to tell the whole 20 chapters of stories so that we would know without a doubt who Jesus is, that we would believe that he is God, 
and that by believing in him, we may have life. So we're going to walk through the text and we're going to see these two stories. And the first one is going to start with Andrew and Simon Peter. So we're going to read through the text and pull those two stories apart. And I am going to get a drink before I read them. So the next day again, John was standing with his two disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and he said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked, him, looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and of Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see much greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, we'll start with Andrew and Peter. We'll get to Philip and Nathaniel. But ultimately, this is about Jesus far exceeding their expectations and pointing to the reality of who he is and bringing them along to understand it. Which is going to take 20 chapters, so don't have any illusions that they're going to get it right now. So who are these followers? Before we get back to the text, I just want to pick apart a little bit uh, Andrew and Peter so that we get a, a feeling for who they are. So they feel like friends. They feel like, oh, I know those guys. First, we, we start with Andrew. We know from the text he's a disciple of John the Baptist. We also know he's Simon Peter's brother. And it's interesting the way John, the author, introduces Andrew as Simon Peter's brother. So Peter has not arrived in the story yet, right? It starts with Andrew. He says, one of the two who heard John the Baptist speaking and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we're going to get to this in a little bit when we talk about Peter, but obviously Peter was known at the time that, that John the Baptist, or John the author, could say, Andrew, he's Simon, who I haven't introduced you to yet, he's Simon Peter's brother. So we know that he's, he's Peter's brother. We know he's from Bethsaida, which means house of fish. 
When your town is called House of Fish, you know what you're going to get. This is not going to be a mining town. This is not going to be, you know, a farming town. House of Fish. That's where they're, that's where they're, that's where they're from. Now, there's also in John a, a town or a, a, a pool that comes in later with a miracle of Jesus called Bethesda, which means House of Mercy. And I always get them confused, right? The, the pools where the guy's waiting to be healed. Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. Those are the pools of Bethesda. <laughs> this is Bethsaida. So if you bathe in the pools of Bethesda, you get healed. You bathe in the pools of Bethsaida and you smell like fish. Okay? <laughs> so you want to keep those two separate because if you mix them up, no one is going to want to be around you. So... Andrew is from Fishtown, and he, we learn from the other Gospels, he, Andrew, is a partner, a fishing partner, business partner with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. John, the son of Zebedee, is John, the author. So they're buddies, they're partners. Um, and one thing we need to know about John is he never names himself in his Gospel. Even when he's in the story, he doesn't tell you he's in the story. So we've got these two disciples that are standing with John the Baptist. We know one of them is Andrew. The other one is believed to be John, the author, with Andrew. So he's an eyewitness to all of these events. So could be John, the author. We know he's Andrew's fishing partner, so we know they know each other. We know they hang out. Um, he's always unnamed. He never names himself in the gospel. Even at the very end, he says, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is the one who is recounting these stories, who was the eyewitness. Um, and uh, he tells us in 2124 that John, the author, is the one, the same John who has been the, uh, the apostle of Jesus through all of these stories. So very likely it's Andrew and John who are hanging out. Andrew goes and gets Peter. They have been hanging out with John the Baptist because he is that voice calling out in the desert saying, hey, get right with God because the Messiah, the promised one, is coming. They have been waiting. They have been watching. They have been looking. And the, the one they have been expecting is here. So the next day, again, it could be um, last week's text, Todd said, uh, Todd talked about uh, John, the author, says the next day. And then in this story, he begins the next day again. So it could be this happened again on that next day. Or it could be next day again, John is with his disciples and says, behold, the Lamb of God. Either way, the chronology is not as important as the fact that this is an eyewitness account. John is giving us these details of the day and the hour so that we understand and we remember, oh, this author was there. He saw Jesus say these things. He saw Jesus do these things. This has great credibility uh, as he's telling the story. So the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Just like in last week's story, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then again, in this occasion, behold, the Lamb of God. Only in this, on this occasion, two of John's disciples say, well, if this is the guy we've been waiting for, we're going to follow him. 
John's been telling us, I'm the one pointing out, making the way straight, pointing to the one who is to come. When he says, hey, the guy is here, we're going to go. I'm not, I don't know why more of John's disciples didn't follow. If John says, this is the guy, wouldn't they all say, all right, let's go. But they didn't all go. But two of them did. Two of the disciples heard John say this and they followed Jesus. The one that they have been expecting is here. Jesus turned to them and he said, what are you seeking? Why are you following me? Rabbi, which means teacher, and uh, the which means teacher, and then later when it says uh, the Christ, which, or the Messiah, which means the Christ, are just cues for us to know that John, the author, is writing to more than just the Jews. Obviously, the Jews would know very well and easily and instantly what rabbi means. So it's a cue for us to know John has a broader audience in mind. So rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And this is just a polite way to say, hey, we're not stalkers, but we want to follow you and we want to learn from you and we want to know what you're doing and where you're going. So he says, oh, come on, come and see. So they follow him and they stayed with him for it was about the 10th hour. Again, John's giving us details so that we understand, oh, he was really there. Uh, and they, they counted from sunrise, so 10, 10 hours after sunrise, so Approximately, if sunrise is 6 o'clock, approximately 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And there's no electricity, right? So it's going to get dark. And so you're limited in where you can go and what you can do after it gets dark. So they're going to sit and they're going to talk. But for the story, it's important to know this is just one, one afternoon and evening that Andrew is hanging out with Jesus. And here's what he does. His excitement overflows. Something about that five-hour interaction with Jesus, six hours, however long they sat and talked, he's the one they've been expecting, and he can't contain it. He first found his brother Simon. First thing he does when he wakes up, first thing he does is go and get Simon. Simon, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Something in that interaction led him, led Andrew to say, I know what John the Baptist said about him. Now I've had my own personal experience with Jesus. This is the guy that the Bible has been pointing to, our scriptures have been pointing to from Genesis 3.15 all the way through the prophets. This is the guy we were to be expecting. This is the promised one, the anointed one. So what's he do? He grabs Simon Peter and he takes him to Jesus. You need to meet this guy. So what we know about Andrew, he, he finds out about Jesus through John the Baptist, follows Jesus, tells his brother, this is the Messiah. This is the, the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. And he grabs Simon takes him to Jesus because you need to know this Jesus. Jesus looks at Simon and he says, you're Simon, son of John. There's a lot of Johns. Let me just say that real quick. We got John the author. We got John uh, the, the Baptist. Now we got John Peter's dad. So 
You might need to write them down. That's why we give you books. You know, just write it down. Okay, this is the third John, but different than third John in the Bible. Anyway. So Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And then I feel like we need an English one after that, which means rock. So Cephas was Aramaic, like the Hebrew that they spoke. Then Peter is the Greek. And then rock is English. So you're going to be called the rock. Now, we don't want to import too much of what we know about Peter yet. We just know Jesus meets this guy he's not met before. Hey, Cephas, good to meet you. I'm going to call you the rock. <laughs> what we need to see is that Jesus sees Peter. He know, we don't know exactly what it means. We don't know all the implications. We haven't read the rest of the story yet. But what's important is about Jesus. He knows Peter. He knows more about Peter than Peter knows about Peter. And he's telling him, you are the rock. You're going to be the rock. So what we know about Peter, he's Andrew's brother, likely a known person as John is writing this gospel in like 90 AD to the audience that's reading it. He's already a known figure. Um, and this is kind of the origin story for Peter. The other gospels, you know, Peter's on the boat with his nets, right? And he's catching fish. And, and Jesus walks by and says, hey, come follow me. And they drop everything, right? This likely is, a, is an event that preceded that where he's already met Jesus. He's already had this experience where he said, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be the rock. And there's a there's an ability that Jesus has demonstrated to see into the core of who he is that Peter has said, has agreed with Andrew and said, this is the guy. And for those reading who know him as Peter, they say, oh, that's how Simon became Peter. Jesus said it before any of this other stuff happened, before he, you know, is martyred and crucified upside down and all the things Jesus said it at the very beginning at their initial meeting, you're going to be my rock. Jesus knows Peter inside and out. Like I said, more than Peter knew about Peter. And we don't know as they're listening, right? So Peter, what we read and what we learn about Peter is he's, he's impulsive and he says things, you know, that just come out of his mouth and he should have kept them in, but he can't. And so we know he's not so much like a rock yet, right? We're going to watch this unfold. So it could be the other guys kind of snicker, you're going to be the rock, you know, like one of those, uh, one of those ironic nicknames, like when we call Todd tiny, you know, like one of those, like maybe, maybe, maybe they thought, oh, that's funny. And they don't really realize what the rock is really going to mean until the story develops. So the one they've been expecting is here and their excitement overflows. They go and they tell. We know that John, not in this uh, account, but we know at some point John, the author, goes and gets his brother James because he's one of the disciples. Um, Andrew goes and gets Peter. They, they meet Jesus, they find him, they see him, they meet with him, they experience who he is, and they've got to bring people to see him and to connect with him. Before I go on, 
we have all had this experience. Somebody in our lives was so excited about Jesus that they talked to us. Now, maybe they brought us to church or maybe they brought us to a camp or maybe, you know, they uh, talked to us at work. Whatever it was, somebody was so excited about the experience they had with Jesus that they talked to us. I have people in my head, um, counselors at Forest Home, folks at my church growing up, who were so excited that they wanted me to understand who this Jesus was and how big and how grand and how majestic. So I just want to take a second and just thank God for those people. So think of, of who it was for you that either brought you to church or a first memory of somebody at church or um, the person who first introduced Jesus to you. And let's just take a minute and thank God. God, you are good. Thank you. Thank you for those people. And thank you for the excitement that you put in their hearts. Lord, would you put that excitement in our hearts as we see more and more of who you are. Lord, help us to be that for folks. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the expectation that they were dealing with is hard for us to, uh, to imagine, maybe. Because they've been waiting 400 years for a prophet, right? The, the last prophet in Israel, and then they've got nothing for 400 years. And they're like, Lord, when, when are you going to send, when are you going to send another prophet or the Messiah or what? That's why they're all asking him, they're all asking Jesus these questions because they don't know, is, is he the Messiah? Is he, is he another prophet to kind of pave the way like Elijah, like who is this guy? Because we've been waiting such a long time. It may be hard for us because we, we grew up in the church. And before we could ever long for something, we were given the answer before we really knew what, what to long for. But these guys have been longing, have been waiting, have been expecting, have been hoping for someone from God to come. And when he does come, he is in, a, in, an, in such a short interaction, five, six hours, whatever, way more than they expected, way more than they thought they were going to get. So let's look at Philip and Nathaniel, who are also looking. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he finds Philip. So remember, John and Andrew follow Jesus, kind of creepily a few steps behind him. He finds Philip and says, Philip, follow me. Now, Philip, also from Fishtown, the city of Andrew and Peter. Here's what we know about Philip. Now, we don't know as much about Philip. We know he's from Bethsaida, house of fish, possibly another disciple of John the Baptist, right? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't tell us, but it would, it would make sense they are, uh, are all from the same town. They're all in the same trade. Um, we also know his name means a lover of horses. I'm not sure if that's helpful. I just wanted you to know I did my research. You know, I dug up every, no stone was left unturned. Um, 
we know Philip goes immediately and finds Nathanael. Philip finds Nathanael after Jesus calls him to follow him. So what do we know about Nathanael? He doesn't appear as Nathanael in the name Nathanael in any of the other Gospels. Um, in the other Gospels, Bartholomew is the guy who is listed with Philip and with Andrew. Um, now the thing to know is that Nathanael is a first name and Bartholomew is a last name. It means Bar, his last name Bartholomew means son of Ptolemy or Tholomew or whatever. So uh, likely Bartholomew, Nathanael, same guy. Mark and, uh, and Luke and Matthew record him by his last name. John records him by his first name. So Philip finds Nathanael. First thing, says to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, before I get to the Nazareth bit, just take that sentence for itself. We have found him of whom Moses in the law. Is there anyone bigger for the Jews than Moses writing the law? If Moses points to somebody and says, this is the guy, there's nobody bigger in their mind. Nobody bigger, nobody better. If Moses in the law points to this guy and also all the prophets say, this is the guy. This is the one they've all been pointing to. We don't know all of Philip's interaction with Jesus, but he gets right away, this is a big, big deal. And he goes and he tells Nathanael and he says, this is him. And it's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, this is where it goes sideways. Because as soon as you tell him who he is specifically, like you tell him the first sentence, like, I'm ready, I'm ready, tell me. Then you tell me he's from Fresno. And I'm like, well. <laughs> you had me at the first part. But then I don't know about this guy all of a sudden. So. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? And, he, and he's not saying Nazareth is like a notoriously bad town. He's just saying it's a nothing town. It's a nowhere town. It's like there's nothing, nothing comes out of there. Raisins and dates. No, that's Fresno. Um, <laughs> nothing comes out of there. Philip says, come and see. To overcome any opposition to the, to the town, to the whatever other obstacles, you know, he, he may come up with. Come and see. See for yourself who this Jesus is. And he will overcome all that other stuff. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming. And he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, in order to kind of get this last bit, I, I want to take us back to the story of Jacob, right? Jacob, who, who is also called Israel in uh, Genesis chapters 25 through 33, right? Uh, Jacob, he's known for being kind of a deceiver, right? He's, he's Esau's brother. Jacob and Esau's are the two kids of Isaac, um, he, he steals Esau's birthright. He, he steals Esau, um, that should say Esau, not Isaac. 
uh, oh, from Isaac. There you go. He steals the blessing from Isaac that was supposed to go to Esau. Jacob steals it. Um, he wrestles with God and uh, God changes his name. He says, because you've wrestled with me and survived, I'm going to call you Israel now. So Jacob, Israel had this vision of angels ascending and descending. And as he is, he is seeing this vision, he is declaring, it's, it's like for him the fulfillment of God's faithfulness to his people. And God is reiterating to Jacob the promises that he made to Abraham and to Isaac. He reiterates them to Jacob in that same event. So this is the event that Jesus is referring to. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit like there was in, in Jacob. And Nathanael says to him, how do you know me? Just like with Peter, Jesus sees him perfectly, completely, thoroughly. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, all that? Just because I saw you under the fig tree? Like, I saw your heart. I know who you are. And the thing that you're obsessing about is that I could see you when you were sitting under the fig tree? How about the fact that I know who you are and I've never met you? Jesus says, if that's impressive to you, you're going to see way bigger, way better things than this. He said, truly, again, using the story of Jacob, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, he doesn't say on me, but he calls himself, Jesus does, the Son of Man. Again, to conjure up imagery that would be familiar to them. So Daniel 7 gives us that imagery. But Jesus is saying with this connection to Jacob, he's saying, you're going to see that I am the gateway between heaven and earth. I am the way. I am the truth. He's going to say this a little bit later. But he's saying it already in chapter 1. I am the way between heaven and earth. You're going to see God's faithfulness to his promises. Just like in that, in that Jacob story, I'm the guy that that was prophesied about. And you will see that I am the son of man. From uh, Daniel 7, I just want to read you the passage so you get the scope of what these guys are thinking when he says, son of man. Behold, uh, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, God, and was presented before him, um, God the Father. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So, Jesus is very clear. Now, how much they understand of all these things that Jesus is telling them, we're going to see as we read the story, not as much as we would hope. <laughs> Which I hope gives us confidence for, for whatever we understand, for, the, for as much information as we have, for as little as we really get. God continues to reveal Jesus continues to tell them stories, continues to show them, continues to point out who he is. The one that they've been expecting is here. I am that one that Moses pointed to, that the prophets pointed to. I am that one. Now, you guys may have some like, 
political ideas of what I'm supposed to do, or you may have some you know, military ideas of what you think I'm supposed to do. Jesus is going to redefine a lot of these terms for them so that they get a clear picture that is probably not clear yet. But what is clear is I'm the guy you have been waiting 400 years and since Moses, since the fall that have earth and creation has been waiting for. I'm the guy. He's here and he's already, in these short little snippets, he's already more than they can handle, more than they expected. And this is just the beginning. John is such a great storyteller. He's given us so much already in chapter one. And yet, pointed, pointed out, you haven't seen anything yet. This is just the start. Just the tip of the iceberg. So here's what my hopes are for us as we read these two stories of these disciples coming to Jesus. My hope is that we would see Jesus as John sees him. Man, that chapter one is packed with who Jesus is. It's packed with references to what was prophesied from the Old Testament and packed with what he can do. Who he is. He knows Nathaniel before he ever met him. He knows Peter before he ever met him. Knows him inside and out. Knows what's going to happen. May we have that same kind of confidence that John wants for us. Remember, he said, I, I pray, my hope is that you would read these stories and that you would see the Jesus who is God. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. And let's follow Jesus. Just like, just like Andrew and John, they said, hey, we want, we want to know where you're staying. We want to follow you. It looks different for us. We don't have the physical Jesus to follow, but we have, we have Jesus we can follow. And we get to pick it up every day and see what did he do? What did he say? How did he say it? How did that interaction go? May we be just as much disciples as any of the 12. Spending time with him, being taught by him, pursuing him. May that be our, our goal and may it be a reality more and more. And let's invite others. Now that may mean that we, we, we can't bring them to a physical Jesus, but maybe it means we bring them to church. Maybe it means we bring them to Bunko. Maybe it means we walk through the book of John with them. We've got these books that you can take and give away and say, hey, if you're interested, I'd love to talk about this. Let's read this. We have the same opportunity to experience Jesus and to and to share our experience with the people we love, the people around us, the people God puts in our path. May we have that excitement that overflows, just like these disciples. And lastly, may we live with holy expectations. Not just great expectations, but way bigger than great. As much as we have experienced of Jesus, he's bigger. As much as we know right now about who he is, he is bigger. As much as we're going to learn as we go through John and God continues to reveal new things like, oh, I didn't know that, I forgot that, you know, whatever. 
as much as we're going to know in our whole lifetime, Jesus is bigger. And may we live with that kind of expectation to say, God, what are you going to do? I know you can do anything. What are you going to do here? What are you going to do in this situation in my life? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do today? Where am I going to see you at work today? May we live not just with an expectation kind of theoretically or, or theologically that God is, Jesus is going to return or that God is going to, you know, bring history to fulfillment, which is awesome. That's a great expectation. But may we live today and tomorrow looking and expecting to see God at work. That's my hope. So, Lord, would you fill us with an expectation for what you have for us, for, for our lives, for our friends, for our families. Lord, would you fill us with an expectation, not only that you are able, but that you want to work in and through us, that you want to do things that are amazing. You want to reach into people's heart and let them know that they are known, that they are loved. And Lord, you want to use us in that process. So would you help us, Lord? Um, we, we get distracted, we get tired, we get, uh, you know, just all kinds of things get in the way. Lord, would you keep us focused and help us, Lord, to follow you with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. In Jesus' name.